You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Welcome to the Uncommon Drive Podcast with Jeff Cross and Chad Ozie. Join us as we look at life, leadership, and legacy through the lens of sports officiating. Welcome back to the Uncommon Drive, where we try to make your drive time just a little bit more uncommon as we all pursue an uncommon drive towards success. My name is Chad Ozy, and I am here with Jeff Cross. How are you doing today, Jeff? I'm good. How are you, man? I am doing great. You know, uh, it is incredibly cold outside. Mm -hmm. um, it's now down in the single digits. And uh, for those of us in the baseball world, uh, believe it or not, that means that we know that baseball season is right around the corner. <laughs> when it gets the most bitterly cold is when we're getting ready to hit the field. <laughs> Uh, my, uh, I think my very first college baseball game of the season is scheduled to be on February 12th. I have a basketball game the day before. I have a basketball game the day after and baseball in between. February 12th. Uh, February 12th is my first college baseball game. That's correct. Outside? Outside. That's right. Bro. Not in, the, not in the dome, up in Minneapolis, like some guys get to start their season, or down in Florida, or Oklahoma, or wherever. Nope. I am out here in the frozen tundra. I'll be on turf, um, so that makes it a little bit more playable. Heated turf? And all, not heated turf. Uh, it's really funny. My uh, One of my friends bought this new heated vest that mm. they make. It's mm -hmm. got like battery packs yep. and everything in it. And, you know, a few years ago, I would have laughed at them and gone, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Now, I am so jealous of them. <laughs> it's kind of crazy, you know? I've, I've seen them because, I don't know, I don't know if it's it's specified towards umpires or not, but 
my son, we got him one of those for Christmas because he works outside as a, as a diesel mechanic. Oh, yeah. And we got him like a heated jacket. It mm-hmm. heats around the chest. Yep. The pockets are heated. And then maybe the shoulders or something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you just charge it up at night like a cordless drill. Oh, dude. I'm just telling you right now. I'm Amazon may be getting some of my money today yeah. just thinking about uh, mm-hmm. what that's going to be like. So for those of us that are getting ready to hit the baseball field, it means that we're in cages right now looking at pitches, uh, trying to make sure that our eyes are trained and ready to go the same way that a basketball official in the preseason is you know, hitting the court, doing those jogs back and forth, trying to simulate what it's like to, to move up and down the court and do those things. You know, We all have those, those physical things that we do to get ready for a season. And uh, we're actually talking about something today that even though it's going to focus on basketball is incredibly relatable to baseball. Um, In baseball, a lot of times we are uh, we're seeing multiple teams play each other multiple times a year. There are some conferences where a team will play each other uh, three times a season. There's Mm -hmm. some where they'll play each other four times a season. There's some that they may play each other twice a season that's considered conference games, but they may play other games against each other that's considered non-conference games. Plus then they may see each other in conference tournaments Mm -hmm. and things like that as they go. And so on the baseball side, for us to have the similar matchup over and over, sometimes in the same weekend, especially at the Division One level, Division Two level. Um, one of the Division Two conferences I work, it's a it's a single game on Friday, it's a double header between the same two teams on Saturday, and then a single game on Sunday. So four times in the same weekend, same two teams are seeing each other. Um, we've now hit the turnaround turnaround point of the college basketball season, where it's now the second time through the conference in in most of our conferences the teams are playing each other for the second time Mm -hmm. and that brings up a lot of different things one it's a higher level of intensity a lot of times uh, but it also allows us to see things uh, from the first time they played Uh, what were coach interactions like uh, what were the the problem children players, if there were any, you know, what's the scoring matchups, all that kind of stuff. You know, for you with the, the conferences that you work, what is what is your mindset? Looking back to our last uh, mm. our, our last uh, podcast episode that we had, uh, what's your mindset going into the turnaround of the college basketball season? Well, we address it every game, but even more so on the second matchup. And just to be clear, you know, I do work a league, the Horizon League, you know, because of COVID, they are actually playing whatever. We'll say Wisconsin Green Bay is playing Milwaukee on Thursday mm-hmm. at Milwaukee. And then on Saturday, the same two teams are playing at Green Bay. Mm. So it's happening in sure. basketball as much as we don't want it to. But most of the time, it's usually January they're playing. And then February, they're playing the turnaround match at the other site. So the things that I, you know, I believe that are so important when we get into second time matchups. Who, who is, you know, who is the person that the team everything goes through? Right, we gotta. Everyone has, for lack of better terms, their star. Right, their go to mm-hmm. person, whoever it is. In order for us to run an offense, fourteen has to touch the ball. Mm-hmm. You know, so we need to know those things because what does it mean when? In order for Team A to have a successful offense, 14 has to touch the ball. So what do you think that means for that coach? That means that we need 14 to be protected. 
mm-hmm. because they know, the coach knows that if 14 goes down, because maybe we missed a, some contact or whatever that might be, now he or she's offense is a, a mess because now we can't go through 14. So those are things that we need to be be aware of. And if you go back and look, you know, typically when I have a turnaround matchup, look at the box score. Look, okay, 14 scored, you know, 15 points from behind the arc. Mm-hmm. Or 22 scored 20 points in she's a post player. So that's we know if that's happening, if post players are scoring a lot of points, well, that's probably going to cause a double team. Mm-hmm. If it's causing a double team, what does that mean for me as a referee? That means the quicker I can get strong side as lead, the better off I'm going to be. Or I'm assuming strong side because that's where the post player is going to be. But, you know, sometimes I even make in-game adjustments and say, hey, listen, I want to be on the side that the post player is on at all times from lead. The, the better off, the more we're then in those spots, the better off we're going to be as a crew. Those are the big things that I really look at. And you just look who, you know, who was the hot hand? Who are they going to try and double team? Who do we not necessarily need to protect, but who do we know that a coach is going to be sensitive to calling a light foul on, you know, mm-hmm. or calling or not calling fouls on uh, ball handler dribblers because this is the person that it, the ball has to go through. So I, I think we're all aware of that. And I think it's also we need to look at the, the potential physicality of the game. Um, we don't want the game to get physical. Um, we want it to be – um, to, to show some composure through the whole game. And sometimes it, we can let it get too physical and we have to blow our whistle, but I don't think we want it to get that way because it's they're already heated anyway, especially if you lost by 20. They're a little bit more heated. So the more physical we let it get, it's uh, your ticket, you're rolling a dice that it's going to go south on you. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of times we make assumptions about our current game based on actions that took place in the last game Mm -hmm. and many times those are very valid assumptions Mm -hmm. right if last time the 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 losing team um was a very poor shooter from the three-point line Mm -hmm. we assume that's probably gonna carry over if the winning team had a huge post presence and out rebounded two to one we assume that's gonna happen that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff right this year has the potential to be very different. And this is going to be true both on the the basketball and the baseball side because of COVID. Mm-hmm. I mean, COVID has made things different. So on the on the basketball side, you know, it may be the reason that they shot so poorly from three-point land is because their two best three-point shooters were out with COVID last time, but they're back in the lineup this time. Mm-hmm. And it could be that post-presence that allowed them to get that two-to-one rebound edge is gone this time because they're on COVID protocol or mm-hmm. health and safety protocol, <laughs> as the right. NCAA would call yeah. that now, right? Or even as much as a twisted ankle. Absolutely. And, and we're, I think we're used to that in basketball. Mm-hmm. In basketball, we're used to the occasional injury. But a lot of things that we're seeing this year in basketball is whole groups of people being out. I had a game just the other day where five players for the same team were out on health and safety protocol. It's not usual for five players from the same team to be out with injury. Mm-hmm. We know there's that mm-hmm. that one team every year that gets bit by the injury bug. And mm-hmm. yes, they've got a ton that are out, but that's uncommon. Mm-hmm. This is becoming more common this year to have three, four, five players out 
and still have to work game. I mean, we, we mentioned it in an earlier episode. You worked the game um, this year where, where there were six players yep. on the, mm-hmm. in a Division One mm-hmm. women's basketball team. And, oh, yeah, by the way, that team won the game. Sure did. Yep. Sure you know, did. that's unusual, mm-hmm. right? So how does this current climate that we're in, how does that factor into how you look at games, knowing that things could be so drastically different based on some of that stuff happening? Yeah, I mean, I think you said it best. I'm not going to try and predict what's going to happen here. And I've heard many officials say, listen, if they played a game on paper, they wouldn't need us. They Coaches are good coaches at a Division One level for a reason. Mm-hmm. So last time they played, they got out-rebounded 3-1. to one. Well, you can bet they're working on boxing out and they're working on, you know, maybe even double teaming another player, you know, those kind of things. So they have an opportunity. That's what they're going to do. Um, so I think we're making a big mistake if we go into the locker room. I'm even going to take a step further. We make a big mistake by going in the locker room the day before the second matchup thinking, oh, they just beat them by 20, so this should be an easy one. The step further is we're making a big mistake by going in the locker room at halftime of the first matchup and so they're up by 15. Second half's going to be easy. That is a big mistake because both coaches are going to make adjustments. Sure. One coach may be making an adjustment to, hey, we're going to press everything. We're going to press the last 20 minutes. And if we're not ready for that, we've missed two or three fouls. We've missed two or three turnovers that we should have been fouls. Whatever that is, because we're not ready, because we went into the assumption that nothing else was going to change. We still call it a go contact. We still prepare, and we want to be ready for any changes that the game might give us. Yeah, no, that's that's really good. So not only do we have those tendencies that that we can see or not see based on you know who was or wasn't in a in a game previously. But the other thing that we experienced the second time through the conference is that now we're beginning to get a clearer picture of what postseason means. So um, once you're halfway through the season, you've got some teams that are nearly undefeated at the mm-hmm. top. You've got some teams that barely have a win at mm-hmm. the bottom. And you typically have a group somewhere in the middle. Um, and in most conferences, you know, those teams that are in the first, second or third spot, you know, are pretty much a, a lock for the postseason, even if they made some big missteps on the on the way through those ones in the middle, they could go either way. Mm-hmm. The ones at the bottom, it's going to take a huge run for them to have a shot at making a conference tournament. And. Very early in my collegiate career, both on the baseball and basketball side, I I don't think I was just aware of this mm. as much. But you know, there are there are coaches that have bonuses in their contracts based on whether or not they just make a conference tournament. Mm-hmm. You know, that coach may not just be fighting for that game. That coach may be fighting for a fifty k bonus. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're sitting there going, if, if I can get that bonus, I can help pay off my house. I can pay for my kid's college. Mm-hmm. I can do these kinds of things. It's more than about just one play in one game mm-hmm. when you see them get really elevated over mm-hmm. something. Um, there are there are coaches that know if if I don't have a certain a certain conference record, I'm not going to be retained next year. Mm-hmm. 
You know, there are times, and, and I know this because I've, I've heard this directly from coaches, where athletic directors have walked into them and said, look, uh, you get ejected for one more game. Talking on the baseball side, look, you, you get ejected one more game, you're done. I know other coaches where, you know, an athletic director's walked in and said, look, if we don't see a huge turnaround in the second half of the season, you just need to know we're going to move in a different direction mm-hmm. next season. Now, I don't know if that's just their way of, of prepping them so they'll be looking for something else. I don't know if they think that's a great motivation tool <laughs> or whatever it might be. Uh, but I know for a fact that those conversations happen from administrators to coaches. Mm. And so I think sometimes as, as officials, we get a little caught off guard when a coach, say from a, a, a team that was one in seven in the first half of the conference season, you know, and they're playing the number three team in the conference and they're getting beat by 15 and that coach is just going nuts on the sideline mm-hmm. and we're saying well, like why like you knew you weren't going to win this game mm-hmm. like why are you so elevated but there are some other reasons behind it can, can you talk a little bit about what it means to have interaction with intense coaches that are dealing with maybe more than just the pressure on the court well i cannot speak to the pressure that they're dealing with off the court I can only speak to the pressure that is on the court in the moment. Um, And that's, I can have empathy with them knowing that they might be dealing with something bigger than this potential missed play. Um, Again, you know, as I said in the the last previous, couple previous podcasts, you know, I just want to stick to the facts. And I think if I stick to the facts and still have empathy, it's going to go a long way. Mm Mm-hmm. And I've said since day one of this podcast, you know, find ways to agree with coaches. Man, I agree. I agree. I agree that it looked like it should have been a foul, but I had two hands on the ball, whatever that might be. Those, I mean, it's it's not going to make it all better. It's not going to guarantee them a job for the next four years. And, you know, we have coaches that are fighting for their team and also fighting for their job because mm-hmm. they're fighting for their job because they want to put food on the table for their two kids at home and their wife or husband or whatever it might be. So I think we, it, if the, the more empathy we show, the better off we're going to be. I, I think empathy is a, is a great word. And I think the only way that we're able to find that empathy is if we have some understanding, mm-hmm. you know, and again, I, I think there are, a lot of times when coaches see officials as the enemy, mm. I think there are just as many officials that see coaches as the enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I said that I loved so much when I transitioned from high school to uh, collegiate sports in general, as I said, I feel like at the high school level, they see officials as a necessary evil. Something they have to have, they have to pay, they don't like them, but it's they, they got to have them, right? Mm-hmm. At the collegiate level, I believe that they see us as an integral part of the game. Doesn't mean they're still always going to treat us the best or mm-hmm. have the most respect for us or anything like that. But they do understand that there is something that we bring to the game that is necessary. And so... Um, 
I, I have always loved the, the respect that comes from that at the collegiate level. I, and I believe that we need to be looking at coaches and players in the exact same way. Absolutely. You know, I mean, think about it. I mean, nobody's paying money to get into the arena to watch the, the people in the funny shirts run mm-hmm. up and down the court. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right? They're paying to get into the arena to watch these athletes do what they do. Mm-hmm. Many of these colleges and their fan bases have phenomenal relationships and connections with their coaches. Mm-hmm. I know one Division three coach that, uh, that coaches in our state, and she goes up into the stands every single game and shakes the hands of everybody that came to the game. And this is not a place where there's 20 fans in the building. <laughs> right, right. This is a place where they have hundreds of people mm-hmm. at every game. And she goes up and she personally greets them. She sends her players up into the stands before the game starts to connect with them and to do that. And because of that, that fan base loves that coach. Mm-hmm. They fo- Even if they don't know the names of the players on that team, mm-hmm. they follow that coach. They cheer for that team because of that. Mm-hmm. And so if we recognize that as officials, if we recognize that those people doing what they do gives us the opportunity to do what we do, and we see them as an integral part mm-hmm. <laughs> of what's going on, yeah. you know, I think that changes a little bit of the way that we react to them. So let's let's take some of those outside pressures off off the table. I I personally think that the reason some coaches respond the way they do as we get deep into a season is because of the amalgamation of all of those pressures on them. The in-game, the out-of-game, the travel they just had, the fact that one of their players just showed up as ineligible and can't use them or you know whatever. They've got all those things that are weighing on them at once. But like you just said, we can only deal with what happens in the game. Mhm. But we typically see, as we move deeper into conference season, technical fouls go up, not down. Mm -hmm. Difficult interactions go up, not down. Mm -hmm. We've talked about what it means to interact with coaches before, but especially as we get to these tense moments, what are things that change for you in the way that you deal with coaches and players? Well, you know, it's funny how you say technical fouls go up, not down. I'm going to say that's a two-way street. Mm. It's not just because coaches are getting temperamental. Officials are getting temperamental, too. Mm-hmm. Officials have tough travel. Officials are, you know, my night last night was driving in the snow and stopping at midnight and getting a hotel and basically sleeping for about four or five hours and getting up and going to the next spot, you know. So we're all going through that. So if you want to be on the winning side, we'll call it, of the coach's communication and being able to um, – be at your best, be at a level that is that is genius when it comes to communicating during the February playoff times. You need to be well-rested. You need to be well-educated. You need to be well-versed in, on how you're going to respond. If you think you're going to go out and be able to handle some irate coach who has gotten three hours of sleep, lost two players because of COVID, and uh, had the AD come in his office, his or her office, 40 minutes before the game and say, if you don't win today, you're fired or whatever the scenario may be, you as an official better be on top of your game mm. and your communication skills. And that's what we need to do. We, sometimes we just think, well, we're just going to go and we're just going to referee that. That's the easy part. Calling plays, 
files, no files, that's the easy part. Dealing with the difficult situation and the distractions that might be coming your way, that's where you're going to go from you know, a B-plus official to an A-plus official. So, and, go ahead. I love that you brought that up, Jeff. And we actually had one of our listeners that, that brought up the specific question of, you know, we're at the point of the season where a lot of people are working six and seven days a week. Mm-hmm. And even for some officials that may not be working, say, six days a week working college games, they may be working four days a week working college games and the other two, they're working high school games. Mm-hmm. And it's because there is such a shortage of officials all around us. Mm-hmm. You know, they got people begging, calling our local high school assigner has messaged me a ton this season saying, hey, are, are you available? Can mm-hmm. you work? Mm-hmm. And so when I have had a night off, tomorrow night, my, my college game got canceled. And if I don't get a, a college assignment by noon tomorrow, I'm probably going to shoot him a message mm-hmm. saying, hey, if you need somebody last minute, I can help out. Mm-hmm. And because we all understand the need that's that's out there. But one of our, our listeners said, how... It, in a time like we're in right now, how do we find rest? How, how do we take care of ourselves knowing the incredible need that's out there right now? Well, I guess maybe we could say it's easier said than done, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's that difficult. Okay. Maybe we don't need to go out with friends. Maybe we can just stay home and rest. Maybe I don't need to scroll Facebook or Twitter for 30 minutes. Maybe I can just listen to some good music and take a nap. Um, you know, Maybe I don't necessarily need to go pick up the leaves from the backyard. I, I, got, a six day, I got six days this week and the snow's melting. I'm trying to pick up the salt or whatever it is. Maybe that can hold off for one more week. Um, that is where we get distracted by what we think is necessary when really it's not. Mm-hmm. If, if my schedule was maybe a six gamer, Hey, you know, Chad, I got six games this week. The podcast is just going to have to wait mm-hmm. because if I truly want to be successful at what I'm doing and I truly want to have good communications during February and, and I would truly want to be rested and, and give every team my best, I'm going to have to, something's going to have to give. That's right. So either the game, I can't do the game or I can't do dinner with another couple on a Friday night, mm-hmm. you know, um, or whatever that is, right? I, yeah. I don't know what, the, whatever the distraction might be. You know, maybe the distraction is I want to watch a, you know, I'm going to binge on Game of Thrones on Netflix or whatever. Maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe you should turn it off, get some sleep, because you know you've got six days in front of you. Um, so that's what I would say. And I, I will add into that, and, and I've seen this, and I have felt the temptation in myself. A lot of us work so hard in the off season on our physical conditioning. Mm-hmm. On our, uh, on our our health regimen, the way we eat, the kind of stuff that we do, 
Uh, I have noticed that this is the time of year that people are pulling through fast food more than ever because of those hard drives, Mm -hmm. because of those late nights, because of that stuff. This is where we have to be even more uncommon in our choices, Mm -hmm. you know? So if, if I have the choice between pulling off to the side of the road so that I can eat a salad that I can't eat while I'm driving. Mm -hmm. So it's going to take me 15 extra minutes to get home. Mm -hmm. I could say, well, now I'm losing 15 minutes sleep. Or I could say, I'm going to rest better because I'm eating healthier. Mm -hmm. Right now, I'm never going to eat a salad because I think if it's green and crunchy, it's not of God. Uh, I am not a salad person. I was using that as an example for you healthy people out there. You know, but but there's things for me. There's there's things that, that even are allowable within the the diet that I choose to follow, mm-hmm. there are some things that I know are better for me than others or may allow me to rest better or just even having food prepped and ready for me is mm-hmm. better. The other day I went to work game and the school was so gracious. They had a box meal ready for us there at the arena. And so we, we put that box meal in the fridge so it'd be fresh and we take it on the way out and the things that are in that box meal are not things that are on the diet plan that I follow. Mm-hmm. It would have been so easy. And I could have used so many different excuses. Mm-hmm. I could have said, well, this will save me time on the way home and I'll get more time to rest. Or it would be wasteful for me not to use this, you know, whatever. I could, mm-hmm. I could have said whatever I wanted to say to give me the excuse to eat something that I knew was not the best for me. And if I did that a few nights in a row, then guess what? Now I'm not feeling as good when I'm not up and down the court. Now I'm not taking care of myself. I'm not sleeping as well. I'm not doing those things. And so instead, I brought it home and my son lives at college just literally three minutes from my house. (laughs) I called him up. I said, meet me downstairs. Mm -hmm. He's like, what? Meet me downstairs outside your dorm. Mm -hmm. And I handed him a nice Penn Station, uh, you know, lunch mm-hmm. and Gatorade and gave it, and he thought it was great. He mm-hmm. thought, man, dad went and got me something cool. <laughs> right. <laughs> nope. Yeah. <laughs> I just passed along the blessing from somebody else. So I think those, some of us have stopped getting our workouts in. Mm-hmm. At this time. Now, this is not the time where you need to be going hard and heavy, you know, and maybe instead of getting in three miles on the treadmill, maybe this is when you get on the elliptical and you spend 20 minutes. Mm-hmm doing that, or you get on a bike, or you do whatever, you do something that's easier on your joints and your body, but yet you're still doing those things that keep you at your best, that ultimately will help you get the rest and recuperation recovery that you need. Well, you know, we all have choices. We have choices. And um, I I forget, it was a, a college football coach, you know, he had said something about, you know, these athletes think they have a choice. They think they can do anything they want to do, but they they can't. If they've chosen to be a Division One athlete, you know, yeah, you got a choice to do it. You know, you work out in the morning, eat breakfast, go watch film at noon, eat lunch, go to practice, get done going to practice, go to class, get your homework done. You don't have any choices. You can't do what you want to do. When we signed up for this, whether it's officiating or it's a, a the AD at a school. I, we may think we have choices, but we don't. There's requirements for that. And, and we can't just do whatever we want to do. We can't just scroll 
through Facebook for hours on hours thinking, oh, it's, I can do whatever I want to do. Well, you can, but you'll find yourself on the outside looking in and go, how come? How come I'm not doing very well in February? Well, are you rested? Are you, you know, are you getting any kind of nutrition in you? You know, all those things that are important. Are you still working? I, instead of, instead of uh, you know, riding four hours to a game and listening to some random radio station, talk radio or whatever it is, are you actually listening to something that can improve your mindset, improve your, your mental strength when you go into that game? Mm-hmm. If you're doing those things, yeah. You're gonna you're gonna be on the good side of it, but I think I just wish we would put more onus on ourselves to be better in February and not be mad at the coaches because they're bad in February. I I really think that's great, Jeff, and and I don't know that many of us have thought in that way. We we talk about coaches getting elevated deep in the season. Mm-hmm. We rarely talk about whether we are at our best. Mm-hmm. At this point in the season, I think a lot of us feel like our play calling is at our best at this point of the season because we've been in it and we've seen it and we know the tendencies for the mm-hmm. year and all that. So we feel like since our play calling is better, that overall we're better as officials. But like you said, because of the extreme travel, especially in the Midwest for a lot mm-hmm. of us where we're dealing with snow and ice and all that kind of stuff. And so a trip that should have taken two hours just took us four and a half mm-hmm. Uh, those kinds of things, you know, and, and we'll even say things like, man, it, you know, we're, we're kind of in the grind of the season, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Well, if we're saying that, that that ought to have a little light bulb go off for us where we're like, hmm, well, if we're feeling the grind, then maybe we aren't at our best. And that needs to factor into how we interact. Yeah, I almost think of it as when someone says, boy, you know, we're really in the grind. I want to say, yep, time for me to shine. Mm-hmm. I'm ready. Let's do this. Um, and I'm going to do everything I can do to prepare myself for it. Yeah. I may or may not get the result I'm hoping for, mm-hmm. but I know that I'm going to be doing anything and everything I can to get the result that night. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I was born in Illinois uh, when I was just started first grade. I was like 45 days into first grade. Uh, we moved just outside Kansas City, Missouri. My dad was working on a, a grad degree there, and uh, we were there for about three and a half years. Uh, moved back right before my fifth grade year, moved back into Southern Illinois at that point. And uh, But that time that I moved there was when you're building all of your sports allegiances. Mm. You know, you're kind of that young, impressionable kid. What mm-hmm. jerseys are everybody else wearing to school? What mm-hmm. hats are they wearing? That kind of stuff, you know. And so when we moved to, to Missouri, the very first baseball game I ever went to uh, in my life uh, was a Kansas City Royals versus the, the Blue Jays. And uh, so I've been a Kansas City Royals fan my entire life because of that. Uh, the very first uh, football game I ever went to was Kansas City Chiefs versus Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, which, by the way, just happens to be a repeat of uh, what's going to happen this weekend uh, for the AFC Championship. <clears throat> Not that I'm proud of my Chiefs or anything like that. Go Bears. That's, you can, like, <laughs> if, if you are still cheering for them right now, you are a fan, my <laughs> friend. Funny. You are a fanatic in <laughs> every sense of the word. No, and, and I get it because you know, I've, been, I've, I've been a fan of teams that have been really, really good and really, really bad and everything in between. 
uh, for any of you that were familiar with the uh, the game that happened um, the, the weekend before we're recording this, it was an unbelievable game between Buffalo and Kansas City. In the last two minutes of the game, there were multiple lead changes. And with 13 seconds left, Kansas City went from being up by four, thinking that everything uh, was done and we're going to win, to all of a sudden the Bills scored a touchdown. Now we're down by three. And they've kicked the ball into the end zone. We have to go the full length of the field. There is no way, no way this is happening. (laughs) And people have said this. I don't know if this quote is exactly correct or not, but this quote has been attributed to Andy Reid. And uh, he said it uh, to Patrick Mahomes before Patrick went out to eventually lead the Kansas City Chiefs to tie the game and then win it in overtime. But he said, when things look grim, might as well be the Grim Reaper. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that's that's kind of amazing. You know, okay, when you're in a situation that, that seems difficult, we'll be the person that thrives in that difficulty, mm-hmm. right? So for those of us that are moving deep into conference season, we're going to talk in a a week or so about, you know, what are the differences and changes when we work playoff sports? You know, what's what's it like working conference tournaments? What's it like working, you know, in the postseason, whether that's junior college, NAIA, NCAA, different divisions, that kind of thing. And, And those things apply across the board in different sports. But as we're hitting deep into this time where not only are our coaches coaching for their career, but, you know, there's there's seniors and super seniors and super COVID seniors <laughs> right, right. now that know that they have their last handful of games left that they're ever going to play. Mm-hmm. They're not playing any more basketball after this at the collegiate level. Mm-hmm. So because of that, their intensity is different. Uh, you've got parents that are watching their kids play those games for the last time. Mm-hmm. You've got coaches that have connections to those players that care about them, that want them to go out on a high, want them to get that conference tournament their senior year, all those different kinds of things. So when things are tough, why shouldn't we be the ones that thrive yep. in those moments? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I want to thrive every night mm-hmm. and you know, no different than, as you say, we get into February and our play calling feels on point. As we get into February, our communication should be more on point also. Mm-hmm. It should be even better than it was in November. Yep. We should have learned from our mistakes, some of the things that we did and we didn't do and said and didn't say. And then once we get into February, you know, we should be right. The, everything should be on elevation. We, we don't want the... The Omicron peak and then going back down, right? Oh, I was really good in January in my communication skills, and now I've kind of went back down. That shouldn't be the case. Mm-hmm. Your play calling should be getting better. Your communication should be getting better. You know, ultimately, we know you're going to be tired. We're going to be tired. But our rest should be getting better, so that way we are recuperated and ready to go. I absolutely agree. You know, we, we didn't want this... Uh, this particular episode to to be super long because this is not one of those things that we have to belabor that we have to convince people about, Mm -hmm. you know, that we need to talk and give 20 different illustrations about everything. You know, this is really the time for us to do what we have done to the best of our ability. 
every single night. You know, whether you want to call it going back to basics, whether you want to say focusing on the small things, whether you want to say, you know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's, whatever thing gets that for you that puts you in a position to be at your best. This is where we need to do that because we need to acknowledge that there are times when it will be difficult for us to be at our best. We need to acknowledge it's good, there are going to be times where it's going to be difficult for coaches and players and spectators to be at their best. But just because it's difficult doesn't mean that it's not still required of us. Yeah. You know, uh, everybody who's listening, you know, I remember this same, this same happened. Someone said it in an NCAA meeting a number of years ago. And there was a room full of NCAA officials for, there for the for the breakout meeting. And it was whatever. We'll just say 50 people in the room. And we were talking about some certain things and, and you know, tough plays or whatever it is. And the gentleman said, you may not be a big dog in this room, but you're a big dog in another room. Mm. So... You may be listening to this podcast and go, hey, listen, I'm just a high school varsity official or I'm just a JV official. Well, guess what? If I put this JV official in a room for intramural officials, you're the big dog. Absolutely. You are the big dog. And if I put a, a room full of intramural officials or I put one intramural official in a room full of 15-year-old kids who've never picked it, put on a shirt, you're the big dog. Mm-hmm. So... We need to operate on that. We, Wherever you are, whatever level you're working, whether it's JV, high school varsity, JUCO, all the way up to Division One, when you're working that level, you are some of the best of the best at that level mm-hmm. because you're working it. And that's where people lose track of that. Oh, you know, okay, so I'm working a Division One game, and I only have two this year. Well, I got news for you. There's another 600 people that would love to have a Division One game. That's right. So, go in with that confidence and that um, that skill set to know that everything you've done over whether it took you 20 years to get there or two years to get there, you have become part of a group that some people can't get to or haven't received yet. So you are most definitely capable and competent of handling what you are on the floor to do. And at any level. And I think that's, we lose sight of that. We lose sight of, ah, I'm just a JV official. Well, in a room full of junior high officials, you're the big dog. And remember that as you as you walk on, no matter what floor it is. Yeah, that's exactly right, Jeff. And we hope that everybody is striving to be uncommon in the way you pursue success at the end of this season. We talk all the time. We say, our podcast is is not just about sports officiating. You know, it's about life and and legacy, and it's it's about what we bring to what we do, not just on the court, but in the interactions we have, in the relationships we have with people. Um, and I hope that you will be uncommon as you step into this time that yes, is stressful, that yes, is high pressure, uh, but it's also really exciting and fun to be a part of. Yeah, I want to leave you one one last thing. And just, I, Chad hates it when I do this, just so you know. He's, I do he's, not. He's, he's giving me, me this, this evil person. I he's like, I just gave the wrap up signal, and then I pull out my phone with my notes. So I, I've been actually holding on to this one, but I wanted to share it with you. I feel like it's it's just the right time to do it. So, eight habits of lucky people: one, work hard; two, complain less; 
Three, teach others. Four, share credit. Five, be on time. Six, this is my favorite one, be kind. Seven, be teachable. And eight, show gratitude. So, I love it. I'm going to show gratitude right now for my partner, Jeff Cross, and the opportunity I get to do this with. I'm going to be kind to you all and wrap up this, uh, <laughs> this uh, session uh, so that you can uh, get out the car and get headed to your next game or prep or whatever you have. And we look forward to sharing again with you next week. Have a great time. See you, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Uncommon Drive podcast. Be sure to check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And be sure to leave us a five-star rating. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.